Amen. Amen. Our reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians verses 15, verse, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. And this section is entitled, The Resurrection of Christ. And Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Good morning. Um, As you know, Tim is my supervisor, and I feel like I've been tested here. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. He gave me a hard text, a long text, and he said, yeah, up to you now. And I said, okay, good. But it's a privilege to be here and uh, to share uh, the, the word of the Lord with you all. And uh, it's been a delight to be with uh, Tim, Sue, and Sean. Thank you for welcoming, him, uh, welcoming me. Um, uh, as, you know, I, as you might know, I was invited to preach here before uh, when you were going through Colossians. But uh, there was a minor problem. I kind of got deported. So, but then after a while in Brazil, I made my way back here, and uh, which wasn't easy, but this is uh, something else, and we could talk about this later. But anyway, it's gone in the past. We already uh, read our passage, and I just want, um, I just would like to invite you to keep your Bible open, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, As you know, we are going to meditate on the first 11 uh, verses. Not chapters. It will feel like, though. (laughs) So the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Here we find the gospel of the resurrected Christ. And um, this is, as you know, a classic Christian, uh, a classic text on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the whole of the Bible, this is the text where Paul puts together and uh, joins together Uh, more information about what happened to Christ and about what is going to happen to us too. We are going to be raised uh, at the the last day along with Jesus Christ. Um, It is interesting to see how 1 Corinthians is framed by Christ's crucifixion in the first chapters of this letter, especially chapter 
chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's all about the resurrection, it's all about the crucifixion of Christ and, and the importance of preaching Christ and crucified alone. So crucifixion is stressed in the first chapters of the letter, but then Paul brings the main body of the letter to a conclusion with an extended discussion of the resurrection. So the letter is, um, we could say, framed by the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We wonder why Paul is talking about this theme here. Why, why the topic of resurrection? And the, the answer to, to this question is in verse 12. Here we find the reason why Paul is discussing the theme of resurrection when he says, you know, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? The problem with the Corinthians was uh, that they apparently did not believe in the bodily resurrection of the believers. There is no evidence, at least to my understanding, that they denied Christ's resurrection. Their problem was with our resurrection. Apparently, maybe they had an understanding that uh, all that mattered was uh, kind of a spiritual resurrection, and we don't know. But they kind of doubted the idea of us being uh, raised uh, bodily. And, and, and Paul then is saying, how come you understand, you say that Christ has been raised from the dead, in verse 12, but then you say there is no resurrection whatsoever for the rest of us. That's the problem. And then Paul kind of elaborates on this uh, theme, on this topic of resurrection to correct that problem. Well, Paul begins his treatment of resurrection by reaffirming the centrality of the gospel in the Christian experience. The first 11 verses kind of uh, constitute the basis on what Paul is going to build, the whole argument that will follow from verse 12 through the end of the chapter. And it's all about the gospel that Paul preached, preached. And the Corinthians received. That's the first thing that I want to point for you. Uh, the centrality of the gospel. That's how Paul introdu uh, introduces his treatment of resurrection. Verses 1 and 2. Paul begins by saying, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. I want you to remember that Paul is writing to believers, right? He's not writing to unbelievers here. He's not preaching the gospel uh, in order to make converts. That's not the idea here. He's writing to a Christian community. And that reminds me that the gospel is not a message for unbelievers only. This is the gospel he preached. This is the gospel that we heard. This is the gospel that we must keep preaching. The gospel is not a message that we preach only for unbelievers. As in, okay, the gospel is preached for the conversion of unbelievers, but after we are done with this, now it's time for doctrine. It's time for red meat now. Now it's the real stuff. 
The gospel is done. It's in the past. We got converts now, so, but that's all right. That was in the past. Christ died. It was raised again. You are Christian? Good. Let's go for doctrine, for Paul, Pauline letters. Let's go for predestination, the glory of God, and other things. And the gospel is in the past. No. The gospel is what we preachers should be preaching throughout our entire lives. It is the message by which believers are being saved, it's what Paul says. Not only that they received, but Paul says here that they are being saved by this message, by the gospel. Luther, Martin Luther said once that, uh, or wrote once, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we forget it every day. That might be true in Brazil. I don't know if it's true here. But in Brazil, we must be reminding ourselves of the gospel every day. We tend to forget it down there in my country. But that's true. In verses 1 and 2, Paul presents the process of proclamation and, re- and reception of this message. He says, basically, you know, I preached and you received this message. And this is the foundation of everything that I'm going to say, of all my argument for a bodily resurrection. I'd like to think about a few characteristics of this gospel that Paul is preaching, that go preached, and it's reminding the Corinthians here, based on what Paul uh, writes his arguments. A few characteristics of this gospel as we go through the text. The first one that I can see here is that the gospel is the message of salvation. The gospel is the message of salvation. Verses 3 and 4 will make this even clearer. It is not only about the resurrection, obviously, but it involves the resurrection also. It is the saving and transforming power of, the go- of, of God. This is the gospel. The saving and transforming power of God. A very well-known text in Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, a text that you have uh, uh, meditated already, already, Paul says, For the word of the cross is a folly to those who are perishing. But to us, who are being saved, it is what? What? The power of God. That's the gospel. Here Paul makes it clear that the totality of the Christian experience is based on the gospel. Paul says that the Corinthians, this gospel that he is reminding them, was preached to them. And Paul Paul says, you know, you received it. And this, will, this happened at some point in the past, he says, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This has to do with their experience in the present. By this gospel, you are being saved. It's a present and future experience. So the totality of our life, the totality of our experience, past, present, and future, is in the gospel. Is based on the gospel, has its source in the gospel of Christ. That's the first characteristic of the gospel Paul preached and that we should preach. It is a message of salvation. The second one is 
what Pastor uh, Tim already mentioned here. I mean, we didn't discuss this beforehand, but it's the, the exclusive nature of this message. That's a very important characteristic of the gospel of Christianity, the exclusivity of the gospel. There is absolutely no other way by which one can be saved except through the good news of the dead and risen Christ. This is the foundation on which you stand, a spiritual stand here. The risen Christ is the fundamental difference between us and all the other religions. Christ himself. Take the Islamic faith, for example. It does not suffice to say that we worship the same God under different names. Oh, it's the same God. Just the names are different. It does not suffice to say that. In Christianity, there is no true worship, nor salvation, which does not come through one man, Jesus Christ the Lord. All salvation, all true worship, all true life is in and from Christ alone. He is the difference between us and all the other religions. There is no truth apart from Christ. There is no life apart from Him. There is no going to God apart from Him. That's the second characteristic of the gospel Paul preaches here. The third one is that the gospel demands a response from us. You'd better not believe in vain because that was a risk for the Corinthians here. Paul says, you know, this is the gospel you received. That you, it's the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. If you hold firm to the word I preached, there is the need of a continual, ongoing response to the gospel. It's not an automatic thing. Christ died for me on the cross. I understand that. Okay, I believe that that happened. Therefore, I'm saved. Okay, you understood that intellectually. There is a response that is continual. You've got to analyze yourself and to look into your own heart. There is always the risk of a false profession of faith unless you have believed in vain. And it is in response to a specific word, the gospel, that we stand saved before Christ. You see, there are some fundamentals of the Christian faith which are out obviously unnegotiable, and we shall move, to, uh, move on now to see what they are, what fundamentals uh, I'm talking about here, Paul is talking about. Verses 3 to 8, the first thing that I can see here in verses 1 and 2 is the centrality of the gospel. That's the message that Paul preached to the church, the centrality of the gospel. The second thing is the content of this gospel. Okay, it is central, essential, what is its content? What does it say, actually? I, you, you've said, you, 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 I said some, I told you some characteristics of this gospel, but it's not all. What is the content? Verses 3 and 8. Well, that's a very rich text. I can only uh, outline a few things and share a few things with you uh, from here. But now Paul elaborates on the content of the gospel which he preached and the Corinthians received. 
is highly likely that Paul is quoting an earlier Christian creed or confession here, which is fine, which contains the basic tenets of Christian faith. In it, we find the essential fundamentals of faith, which Paul classifies as of first importance. But before we approach the fundamentals of Christian faith here, we must first observe another characteristic of the gospel here. This gospel that we preach is Christocentric. Christ is in the center of it. It's all about Christ. Christ is the subject of all the verbs from the second half of verse 3 here, all the verbs, all the verbs that you see here, from verse 3 until verse, uh, through verse 8, he's the subject of all the verbs, except when Paul refers to the eyewitnesses. But Christ is in the center of it all here. The gospel message is first and foremost a message about, about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. But it's about him, Christ. It is not about me. The gospel is not primarily about you. I'm not here, and I believe Tim is not here. No preacher is up here to make you feel good, to talk, to talk about a message that will address you alone. But primarily, we are here to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. As Paul said, it's all about him, Christ. It's about Christ and how God gets the most glory through the life and work of Jesus in saving us. In 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Paul was a clever man. He could have gone about pretty much anything he wanted. Philosophy, Greek stuff, anything that the Corinthians would be delighted to hear. But Paul said, I have only one message to preach. Christ crucified. The message of the gospel is far from being politically correct. And then again, Tim is right. Apparently, Christ is not British. <laughs> no Brazilians. I hear that, uh, I, not a Brazilian, I hear that uh, a friend of mine, a British friend of mine said, you know, uh, Americans are inappropriate. No, Americans are rude. Is, is there an American here? <laughs> Thank God. But it wasn't me. That, that was him. So he said, you know, Americans are rude. Brazilians are inappropriate. Because apparently we, we talk, talk, uh, I'm touching people like this. It's okay, that's inappropriate. Oh, yeah. The gospel is nothing like uh, British gentlemen. The gospel is a bit in, not, you know, rude in a sense. It's not politically correct. The word cross was obscene in itself, was a rude word to use back in those days because it was an awful thing to say and an awful thing to witness someone being crucified. So the message is not politically correct. Paul had nothing to do with entertaining an apathetic indifferent audience by preaching what they wish to hear. Well, the latest philosophical, philosophical or psychologic ideas, Paul had nothing to do with that. He had Christ to preach. Paul knows that whether religious 
Jews or sophisticated Greeks, all anyone desperately needs to hear is the message of Christ. All they need to hear. Now, what are, what are those essential fundamentals of the Christian faith? Verse, verses 3 to 4. Well, there are a lot here, but the two more, most prominent verbs in verses 3 and 4 are perhaps died and raised. So, this is a little creed, Christian creed for us here, a summary of our faith of the gospel. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you of as a, as uh, uh, pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and uh, the others. The two most important verbs here, died and raised, I want just to uh, spend a few minutes on those two. The content of the gospel has to do about the death of Christ for our sins, vicarious atonement. He died for us on the cross. That cross said Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, the King of Israel, actually it had our name on it. It was Diego. He was dying for me. Tim Carter, he was dying for us on the cross. That Christ died for our sins is one of the first and most succinct gospel statements. The sacrificial death of Christ is seen by Paul as the first essential act in the drama of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 1, the same letter, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is a folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be seen who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ redeemed us, Galatians 3, uh, 13, redeemed us from the curse from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There is a mysterious exchange when we are united to Christ by faith. He bore our curse so that we might receive his blessing. He became sin with our sins so that we might become righteous with his righteousness. And this gospel is according to the scriptures. That's where we know and get to know the message that saves us through the scriptures, according to the scriptures. The third important verb here, Christ was bodily raised from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is perhaps the greatest distinctive of Christianity. And it's funny because I've recently uh, read an old article about the display of uh, Gautama Buddha Again, we did not talk about this beforehand, but I, I read this article about the display of Gautama Buddha's ashes uh, somewhere a few years ago. And the first line read just like this, uh, and I quote, The ashes of Gautama Buddha, who lived, preached, and died in northern India, will be taken in procession today. And I was thinking, well, this is, I think, this is how Paul would have started a similar article 
about Christ. He would say something like, and I quote, The body of Jesus Christ who lived, preached, and died by crucifixion in Jerusalem and was buried cannot be found, for on the third day he rose again. He's not there. All the others you can find, their tomb, ashes, you know where they died, where they were buried or something. But Christ is not, his body is not buried. He raised again. The message of the gospel through which we are saved is the message of the Lamb of God who was slain and rose on the third day. There is no other message. Romans 10, 9, Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Paul goes on to list a list of a number of eyewitnesses, those who saw Jesus Christ uh, resurrected in life again. But um, yeah, they are there to confirm, maybe to reinforce the message that Paul is saying, the the veracity of uh, his resurrection. But the third and last thing that I want to see with you, the first was the centrality of the gospel in our experience. The second one is about the content. It was the content of this gospel, basically the death by crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. This is the core of our message, the core of our message. Third and last, we can see in this text in a way that I find amazing, Paul's unique role as an untimely witness to the risen Lord. And then I see here the dynamics of grace in Paul's conversion and ministry. Paul says in verse 9, For I am the least, in verse 8 he says, verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Last of all, as to one abnormally born. The idea of abnormally born here is a word in Greek. It means all kinds of premature birth. Abortion, stillbirth, miscarriage, all kinds. And it came to mean, figuratively, something that is appalling, horrible to see, freakish. Paul is saying, that's me. He appeared to me as if I was a freak. Last of all, because I'm the least of the apostles, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Paul thinks like that. He says in the text, why? Because I persecuted the church of God. It is possible that the term describes Paul vis-a-vis the Corinthians' own view of his apostleship. We don't know. But what does Paul's experience tell us? That's what I think it tells us. It shows us that the operative power of the gospel is grace, as he says later in the text. The list of the apostles, when referring to God's grace in his behalf, Paul usually refers to himself this way. The list of the apostles, the first among the sinners, he's the worst of them all. And and basically because he remembers that he persecuted the church of God. He persecuted Christ himself as he persecuted the church. That was his Damascus experience, Damascus Road experience. 
Paul could never forget that. One day he persecuted the church. He could never forget that one day he had been a persecuted. Verse 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God. And I love this, but God. And it reminds me of Ephesians 2. Remember that? Ephesians 2, the first verses. Paul goes on like saying horrible things about Gentiles Christians before their conversion. Say, so, you know, you are sons of, dis- of, of the disobedience, you know, f- sons of the wrath of God, you are sons of the devil, led by your cravings in this world, and the picture is horrendous. But then in verse 4, Paul says, but God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son. This is the gospel. That's who we are. That's who we were before Christ. Horrendous in the eyes of God. Sinners, undeserving of any good from God. But God initiates it. He looks upon us with love and grace and mercy. It's nothing that we have done. It's all about His love and grace towards us. That's who we are. But God intervenes. But God comes our way with open arms to save us. So Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. Do not deserve even being called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace, but the grace of God that was with me. Posing adequacy magnifies God's grace. Our inadequacy magnifies God's grace. Shows us how great He is in using people like me, like you, and saving us. The gospel displays the glorious grace of God from beginning to end. Paul is a clear example of what he wrote earlier in the letter, talking about the foolishness of this message, saving foolishness, foolish people like the Corinthians and himself. The foolishness of God's gospel in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, through uh, chapter 2 and verse 5, is seen in three ways. Paul talks about his God saving through a crucified Messiah. That was horrendous for the Jews. And for the Greeks, they couldn't understand that. That's the, that's the foolishness. That's so full. That's the foolishness of the gospel. Saving, being saved through a crucified Messiah. Paul shows the foolishness of the gospel when he discusses, when he elaborates a little bit the choosing of the Corinthians, nobodies, to be among these new eschatological people in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. And third, in his calling them through Paul's preaching in personal weakness. Paul was weak. The Corinthians were weak. The message seemed weak before the eyes of the audience. But the grace of God was magnified. It's all about that grace. Paul walks more than all of the apostles maybe put together, and that's true. And, but he says that he puts it down to the grace of God, the operative grace of God. The grace of God is not a lazy thing. It is a working grace, if you like. It makes us work even more 
for God and His kingdom. I shall conclude now because I have gone through. Uh, my time is up for about 20 minutes. So, concluding. This is the message that Paul has to preach, that he preached to the Corinthians. They received, they stand on it, they are being saved by it. The content of this message, and this all, all this, the first 11 verses, are the basis, the foundation for the arguments that will come from verse 12 onwards. The content is basically the death and uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see in all of this, the operative grace, the wonderful, amazing grace of God in operation from beginning to end, from the beginning of our salvation to the end of it. In conclusion, verse 11, we read, whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, either the other apostles or me, doesn't matter who did it, this is the message. This is what matters here. This is the message that, that this is what, what, what we preach continually, and this is what you received. We learn in the scriptures that there is such a thing as absolute truth, and it matters. We live in a relative, relativistic world today. What is true to you may not be true to me. This is what they want us to believe. No one can live like that. No one can coherently live under that philosophy. But the Bible shows us, and the experience, I believe, shows us, that there is such a thing as absolute truth and it matters. A couple of decades ago, people would argue against Christians by saying to us, you're wrong. What you're teaching is wrong. Nowadays, however, things have changed. They will say to us, you're wrong by thinking that your truth is the only truth. Then we will be labeled as intolerant. They love this word, this word, intolerant. Well, if this is to be, this is what it means to be intolerant, yeah, so I am. There is only one way to God. That's Christ. I cannot deceive people by saying something else. Receiving and standing on the gospel as delivered by the apostles in the Holy Scriptures is the only means of our salvation. Second, Christ's resurrection is the guarantee that we are already alive with Christ and that we will be raised from the dead on the last day. Paul talks uh, in verse 20 of this chapter about Christ but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If he is the first fruits, it means there is more to come. If he was raised by the power of God, we certainly, who are in Christ through this gospel by grace, will also be raised at the last day. Lastly, the hope of our final resurrection confers real meaning to our existence. In verse 15, verse 19 of this chapter, Paul says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But if we have the promise of the resurrection of the dead, how do we live in this world? How should I get my priorities? What kind of priorities should I have in life in light of the reality of the truth that one day I will be face to face with Christ? I will be raised from the dead to live eternally in his presence. And that this life is just 
a brief moment, a fleeting moment before our eternal life with Christ. What, do, what should I treasure more in this life? What are the goals that I should have? My deepest ambitions in this life to expand the kingdom of God, to bring others to the knowledge of the, the glorious grace of Christ. What is your ambition in this life? Get wealth, get wealthy, healthy, powerful, famous. In the, those are some of the priorities of Brazilians. That's different in the UK. But it's, it's that, that's the reality in Brazil. They want to build their own empires. And they think they can do that and live forever like that. That, that they're blind. They don't live in light of the eternity. That's foolishness. In verse 58, Paul says, I, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord in light of the resurrection, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father in heaven, we praise you for the great message of your gospel. Thank you for your amazing love for us. And thank you for displaying your glory on the cross of Christ. Thank you because we know that when he came, he knew what he was stepping into. He came to be, he came to be beaten, to be uh, betrayed by the very ones he had come to save. But that did not refrain him from doing it, from going through all the suffering of the cross, the abandonment on the cross to make this moment possible. Lord, may your gospel find a dwelling place in our heart and, and, and be all we treasure more in this life. May the, the vision and the reality, the promise of the resurrection, the promise of our final resurrection guide our lives in this world and reminds us and remind us every day that we live for something else. We live for something more than this life only. May your power of your gospel and may the power of your Christ be in our hearts today and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.